Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022, ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. Happy Wednesday out there to everybody. Day seven of Broncos training camp here at UC Health Center. Uh, yesterday's practice had a dark cloud casted over it with the uh, loss of not just Tim Patrick, but also Demaria Crockett, both guys to ACL injuries. Uh, we know injuries are a part of NFL football. They're a part of training camps, Nate, uh, but that sucked yesterday. Yeah, man, it sucked a lot. So, so Demari Crockett got hurt uh, during a special teams. Un- or, I'm sorry. Um, period. We were out here. I mean, I'm sorry. We were we were on air. We were watching. We couldn't really see it very well. We saw them carrying him off, and that's when we were talking about gingerly. Yes. Right. But Tim Patrick's injury, we were done. Our show was done. I was I was on the other side. I was standing next to a bunch of the uh, the muggles, as D Mac calls them, and then you know Tyler and and Orlando were over there as well. And we're standing really close to where that happened, and, and Tim Patrick caught a long ball. It was a nice catch. It was one of those balls where it was perfectly thrown for a big receiver to use his body, slightly underthrown. It's exactly what Tim Patrick has been doing the last several years here, use his body to go up and get that thing, body out the defender who was Isang Bassey. Isang Bassey fell at Tim Patrick's feet, and Tim took a couple more steps, and then one of those steps just landed wrong, and he just crumpled. And dropped the ball and was writhing in pain on the ground. And practice came to a halt, man. I just I just had chills running through my body seeing that just because it was it was heartbreaking. Coach Hackett said it was heartbreaking. It was, man, just to see a guy who worked so hard, has worked so hard to get to the position he's in, was rewarded last year with a new contract that reflected that hard work. It reflected the leadership that he has in that locker room. It reflected the guy he is. And also, it was reflected in the way the practice was stopped. I know guys talked about it yesterday. Coach tried to riverside the drill and just keep going. Um, but everybody was concerned about Tim. So everybody stopped and came and kind of huddled around Tim and took a knee and uh, paid their respects to that moment because it's clear, you know, when a guy like that, a tough guy like that goes down and doesn't get up, you know there's something really wrong going on. They brought, off the, brought on the cart, took him took him off the field, and then practice resumes. And it's always a real weird feeling when that happens, when someone has a significant injury enough where they cannot get up. They have to wheel them off, and then practice just keeps on rolling. And it's just kind of a it's, – it's it, it is indicative of what this sport is. You just got to keep going. Tim Patrick knows that. Um, this team has to roll on without him. He's going to be missed. But uh, it was a tough day, and how do you come back from that? It's going to be interesting to see how this team responds to not just Tim Patrick, but like you said, Demario Crockett also lost for the season. Yeah, this is day three in a row for this Broncos team, and Coach Hackett talked about on day three is when bad things happen, so I expect a lighter practice out here today. But look, uh, I mean, lower tempo. bad things happened on day two, though, didn't they? Yes. I mean, it's yeah. like bad things just happen. Bad things just happen on football fields, unfortunately. Uh, as much as I, I love this sport, uh, unfortunately, I have shed uh, you know a few tears at practice because of incidents like yesterday, where a, a teammate, a, a fellow brother, goes down, and it just breaks your heart for those guys. The amount of work that they put in, the amount of respect that they earn in the locker room, and then yeah, if, and in one instant, his season is over. And literally, the, the teammates crowd around you, they dap you up, they say nice things to you, um, and then practice has got to go on. 
And you know that as a guy on the field being carted off, you know that as, you know, someone else on that field, that if I go down, the exact same thing is going to happen to me. They're going to dap me up and tell me good luck, and then practice will just simply move on. It's the part of the NFL that absolutely sucks. Um, you know, like I said, I've, I've seen guys go down in training camp practices in, uh, high, in high school and in college and in the NFL. The process is always the same. But uh, there was a long period of time yesterday and according to Kareem Jackson it was the longest he's seen practice held up for a teammate on the ground so I think that goes to show the respect that this team has for for Tim Patrick and uh, Mike and Mark were just talking about the loss of Tim Patrick and what that's going to mean to the Broncos on the field and I, I think maybe they were overlooking some of the contributions of Tim Patrick because it is more than just on the field. He is a veteran leader in this locker room. He is also a guy who has a leader of that wide receiver room. Um, in my opinion, he's the most complete wide receiver on this roster, can play any of the receiver spots, maybe the most consistent and most reliable performer on this Broncos offense. So his loss will be felt. Will it show up in the average score this year? Uh, you know, I can't be, I can't say that. But in order for the Broncos to move forward like we would expect them to with Tim Crockett, a number of guys, not just one guy, but a number of guys have to step up in that receiver core. Yeah, they got to step up. Um, before before I, I give my opinion on, on how the team's going to respond and how the players are, I, I think it's important to talk about you know what Tim Patrick's process looks like from here on out. He's going to disappear from our view. He's not going to be on the field anymore. He's not going to be on our TV. He's not going to be at the podium. We're not going to see him on the in the games. He's still going to exist. He's going to be coming into this facility every day trying to rehab that thing. He's got to let the, you know, they're going to try to deal with the swelling, deal with the inflammation. He's going to have surgery probably in the next couple of weeks. And then he's got a long road to recovery. Um, Corlin Sutton, two years ago, tore his ACL. He wasn't the same last year. Now he's looking better. K.J. Hamler tore his ACL last year. He's now just easing his way back onto the field. This is a process. We talk about it all the time, these ACLs. Everyone's different. But Tim Patrick is still going to be around here, and he's going to be going through a, a roller coaster of emotions trying to figure out who he is outside of being on this field with his teammates. And so for, for everyone out there, I just want you guys to keep him, you know, th- these injuries in perspective. These guys just don't disappear from the world. Uh, they're still out here trying to find purpose, trying to work hard on their craft and trying to get back. But that is the nature of the game. This year... Like I just said, there are guys who were out last year but now are back. And Tim Patrick's going to be ne- back next year. And there are guys who finish this are going to finish this year healthy and are going to lose out early next year. So this is constant rotating cast of characters. You have to play with who you got and who the Broncos now have at receiver is Jerry Judy sliding into Tim Patrick's spot. Jerry Judy is now your number two receiver, okay, with the opportunity to be, to be number one if he, he can prove it. But there is no more waiting for Jerry Judy. K.J. Hamler cannot be counted on quite yet. He tore his ACL and had hip surgery. He just got off a of PUP. So it's going to take some time for K.J. to get in there. There's a lot of hungry other wide receivers ready for that opportunity, whether it's Kendall Hinton, Montreal Washington, um, uh, you know, Seth Williams, who's a big body guy like Tim Patrick, probably the only comp physically to Tim Patrick that's left on this wide receiver roster. But you got a bu- bunch of other guys down on the roster trying to make an impression. Trey Quinn, Travis Fulgham. Um, you got uh, our boy Caden Davis. Um, you got our boy Tyree Cleveland, Jalen Virgil. All these guys have an opportunity now, and it's also an opportunity for the tight ends in, in a weird way because Tim Patrick was 
is a big receiver, kind of like a tight end. This is going to put more pressure on the tight ends to be able to be complete players and be able to pull their weight in the pass game and the running game. It's a big hole to fill. I agree with you that he is the most complete receiver. He's proven that in the last several years. Jerry Judy's been inconsistent. Corlin Sutton hasn't looked like himself since his injury. And KJ Hamler, we don't know where he's at. So this is a big loss for this team. But I will say that... His contribution these last four months to this team still matter for the 2022 season. His spirit still matters for what they're trying to accomplish. He's still going to be in that building. They're still going to see him. And I and I implore these coaches to bring him along as much as possible. I know there's a policy where injured reserve players can't really be involved in what the rest of the team is doing. I think that's got to change. Mm-hmm. I think that's got to change. K.J. Handler came up here a couple days ago and talked about how depressed he was. Uh, and he talked about losing his grandma. But being on injured reserve is part of that. You know, you remember a couple years back, a receiver, Kenny McKinley, who was on injured reserve here, committed suicide during the season. Mm-hmm. I've been on injured reserve. It's depressing. Yep. And this is a thing that all these guys go through year in and year out. Bring these guys into meetings. Bring them on the, on the trips. Let them be a part of the team if they want, right? Um, so just allow these guys to still – feel like they're a part of the group. I think it's really important. Having Tim Patrick around is something that will raise the play of everybody else around him. Uh, When we come back, we want to discuss the wide receiver depth uh, on this team and who can actually fill the void. We listed a number of names. We'll get a little more detail to that. Uh, The news of Tim Patrick, I don't want to forget about the news of Damari Crockett. uh, Running back, he also went down with a torn ACL. He was running number four in the running back rotation behind Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, and Mike Boone. Uh, A guy who played 12 games last year, mostly special teams, but he will also be missed. Another Bronco brother down on the field yesterday. So we come back, uh, we'll discuss that wide receiver depth but first how the Rockies fare yesterday here's Spilly to fill us in live from UC Health Training Center Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022 ready to ride here's Chad and Nate I think our team as a whole, we, we, we've all become really tight and everyone cares so much about each other. But, you know, Tim, Tim is such a, you know, impactful person for this team, a leader. He's, he's the vet that, you know, you want to mold your, your, guy, your young guys after. You know, the guy does, like I said, everything that he needs to do to make sure he's prepared for practice, prepared for games, going into meetings. He's, that, he's the guy who does the things that you want your young guys to mold themselves after Corlin Sutton talking about the, the loss of Tim Patrick and how respected Tim was in that locker room. Uh, this is now the third season in a row. The Broncos have lost their consecutive season. Uh, the Broncos have lost one of their top receivers to injury. Corlin Sutton had a torn ACL week two of the 2020 season. K.J. Hamler suffered a torn ACL as well as a hip injury last year in uh, game three. So uh, this Bronco wide receiver core, a little bit snake-bitten with the injuries, particularly early on. Um, I think this one definitely hurts, as Cortland Sutton was just talking about, the respect that Tim Patrick has in that locker room. And we finished last segment talking about the the impact of Tim, not just on the field, but off the field. Uh, from a player development standpoint, a guy who did everything right, was re- rewarded with a contract last year. Um, and it's tough when you lose those kind of glue guys. Yep, tough to tough to lose him. You heard Corlin talking about it on the field. His last two seasons, he's had, um, you know, over fifty catches both seasons, nearly seven hundred fifty yards both seasons, and, and combined eleven touchdowns. So that's that's production that none of the other receivers on this team have really had. I know Jerry Judy had uh, more catches. Two years ago, last year, didn't do that. Tim Patrick, like you said, has been the most consistent player 
on this receiving core. Um, Cortland Sutton just talked about Tim Patrick's leadership. To me, okay, time for Cortland Sutton to step in and be that leader. Take that example from what Tim Patrick did. Like you're talking about the preparation, the meetings, taking care of your body, being out here and doing all the right stuff. Now you do that, Cortland. You do that. It's it, it's your receiving room now. You're the number one. You're healthy. You are the guy with the most experience now left in that room. You're the guy with the most talent, and you are the guy who everyone is going to be looking to now that Tim Patrick is gone. So Cortland Sutton, um, a little more pressure on him. I do think he already felt the pressure to be the number one, even though maybe Tim Patrick was kind of the steadying force, um, the guy who, like he said, was always prepared, was the inspiration, was the, the, the had the mental part down, took care of himself, understood how to be a pro. That stuff really matters because Jerry Judy needs to learn how to be a pro. K.J. Hamler needs to learn how to be a pro. These young guys need to learn that. Corlin Sutton now has to take the reins and be that guy, be that example for those guys. But Jerry Judy, man, it's really uh, all on him now to prove that he could be what he's telling us all that he can be, what he's been telling us all that he can be subtly and not so subtly for the last couple of years. In his mind, all the crap that he gets from us is unjustified. He is as talented as he thinks he is, so go out there and prove it. I haven't seen that yet this camp. It's only been a week, I know, but... He, to me, he hasn't been playing hungry. He hasn't been playing like a guy with his hair on fire. That's what I want to see from him in this position. Maybe this will be that kickstart that he needs to understand that you can't wait around anymore, that we are going to rely on you in base personnel. We're not going to wait until we put in three receivers for you to go in. You're going in as a starter, as one of those two receivers right off the bat. you got to prove yourself. K.J. Hamler, that's a tough one because physically his abilities are um, far and above everyone else out here. What he's able to do now, I would say Montreal Washington has shown some 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 flash in the way that KJ plays, but what KJ does out there is unique. He's also dealing with a rehab from a significant injury, an ACL and a hip. So we don't want to rush him out there, but if you put those three out there, um, Corlin Sutton, Jerry Judy, if he's playing to his potential, and KJ Hamler, who is healthy, I think that's a pretty solid three-receiver set. Now, how often are they going to use those guys? Can you rely on those guys? Are they going to be healthy? Well, you can't. You can't count on those guys to be there, so you have to rely on guys like Kendall Hinton, Montreal Washington, like I said, Tyree Cleveland, Trey Quinn. Okay, he's a guy with four years' experience who's trying to make this team. Travis Fulgham, also a guy with four years of experience trying to make this team, stuck down in the depth chart right now. Seth Williams was a sixth-round draft pick last year, a big receiver, similar to Tim Patrick, but kind of was lost in the shuffle last year, didn't really stand out at camp, had a couple opportunities, didn't take advantage of them, but spent all year last year on the practice squad, so he's gotten those reps. He's played a lot of football out here. So 6'3", 2'10". Seth Williams. Yes. So, so could he be ready to take that step? And then you get number 13, Caden Davis out here, who's who's the first man out here every day. And by the way, he's not just been the first guy out here. He's been making plays. Yeah. And, and so I see him as a perfect practice squad candidate. But um, you never know. Injuries are going to happen, guys. I, I, I encourage fans to buckle up for this roller coaster. This is just the beginning of the injuries that are going to be coming down the pike every single day. Another guy's going to get hurt on not just the Broncos, but every other team. It's a battle of attrition. Some guys will come back. They'll miss three or four weeks, and then they'll be back. Some guys will be done for the season. Some guys will recover even quicker than you thought. It's going to be a constantly rotating cast of characters. The guys who start week one are not going to be the same guys who start week 18. So take me into that wide receiver room. Uh, you talked about kind of the mindset of a, a couple of the guys. Uh, Corlin Sutton needs to somehow elevate his his overall game and, and become the leader and fill that vacuum uh, left by the loss of Tim Patrick. 
But for Jerry Judy, we can't expect him to be a leader. He's still trying to find his own self. K.J. Hamler, we really can't look to him to be a leader. He's trying to find his self. And then after that, you got a bunch of younger guys who haven't had a lot of success in this league. Kendall Hayden, Tyree Cleveland, Montreal Washington, Seth Williams, Travis Fogum, Trey Quinn, Caden Davis, guys like that. Guys who aren't, you know, they, they don't really know who they are and where they fit. So what happens in that room? How does Coach Zani begin to uh, get that room to kind of come back together and establish a, a new pecking order and a new hierarchy? Yeah, the, the pressure is on Coach Zani to, to pick up the pieces um, when Tim Patrick has left. We talk often about good teams. We've been hearing this quote floating around. Good teams are led by the coaches. Great teams are led by the players. Tim Patrick was a leader in that room. Tim Patrick's no longer going to be in that room, not as consistently at least, because he's not going to be out here on the field. So the the onus is on Coach Azani to help pick up the pieces and Cortland Sutton as well. Like you said, these there's a lot of very inexperienced players in this group, but that's also an opportunity. It should be exciting. It's You get to be hungry. There are no more roadblocks to you getting out there as a young receiver. And I hope you're listening to the people on the radio and the television saying we should bring in Odell Beckham Jr. or Will Fuller or whatever other free agent receiver is out there and getting angry about it because you're on this team right now. You have the opportunity today on day one without Tim Patrick to go out and say, I'll be that guy. I will be that guy. So as a, as, as a receiver coach or all the coaches, I'm looking really hard at this receiving core today and seeing who is taking that challenge. Who's willing to step up and say, I will fill those shoes. Oftentimes, you don't know who that guy is because they are stuck down in the depth chart and they get limited opportunities. Well, now you're going to get more chances. So, um, But I also think the rest of the team's got to pick them up. I've talked about the tight ends. We've seen, the, we've seen three tight end sets. Okay, I do foresee this team leaning more and more on the tight ends when injuries happen to the receiving core because you do have a diverse group of tight ends who could do different things. Eric Saubert can run passes. I'm sorry, can run routes and block. So can Albert O. Ideally, Greg Dulcich can as well. Andrew Beck can do that. Um, Eric Tomlinson, maybe not your pass receiver, but you will see a lot of two tight end sets. You will see a lot of, well, some three tight end sets. You won't see as many three and four wide receiver sets without Tim Patrick because he was a guy that you trusted in there in those formations. So um, who's going to fill in? I think that's yet to be seen, and that's an exciting part of when a guy goes down. Who's game? Who's hungry behind him? Who's going to step up and take those reps? You just used the word trust. Uh, I think these uh, Bronco coaches are going to have to figure out whether they can trust some of these young wide receivers, or do they go out there and look uh, at some guys who are on their couch? We will talk about uh, that possibility next. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents... Training Camp 2022, ready to ride. Here's Chad and Nate. Chad and Nate, day seven here at UC Health Training Center. Uh, the Broncos will probably be going through one of their lighter practices. This is day three. Coach Hackett has talked about on the third day is when bad things happened. Unfortunately, yesterday was when bad things happened as well. Uh, but I expect a lower tempo practice as they probably ramp it up tomorrow, Friday, and maybe a really uh, intense practice on Saturday. Our analysis of Training Camp 2022, ready to ride. This is presented by Elite Sportsbook. Uh, when we left uh, before the break, 
there is some thought here that uh, do the Broncos go after one of these free agent receivers who are left on the market, guys like Will Fuller or Cole Beasley, uh, T.Y. Hilton, Odell Beckham Jr., Didi Westbrook, uh, or do they take their time to see what they have with these young guys and see if any of those guys is ready to step up and is ready for their moment in the spotlight. Well, you talked about trust, Chad, right before we went to the break, and um, the trust would not be there with those individuals. And so I would I would hang tight with the guys you got. Who was Russ's number three receiver last year in Seattle? Uh, that would probably be Everett, the tight end. What about the receiver I'm talking oh, about? The, the receiving receiver? core, who was the number three guy? My point is, you don't know. Because nobody knows. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. DK and got Tyler, one and right? Yep. So what is the kind of offense they're really trying to run here? Are they really trying to spread the ball around to four different receivers? I don't think so. Um, and if you look at the track record of Russell Wilson's career, there aren't three receivers on the team who get a ton of reps. I think the depth is going to be fine on this team as long as we don't get another injury, which we might. That happens. But I think the guys you got right now, I think Ju- Jerry Judy, if he can figure out who he is and figure out if he loves football and if he wants to be out here at all and find a way to get hungry again, play with a sense of urgency, play with a sense of fire, he can be a good number two receiver. And then K.J. Hammer could be that kind of uh, take-the-top-off guy who comes in on, on three receiver sets and challenges defenses in a way that Jerry Judy can't. But Tim Patrick, we, and we talked about this a lot, Stokely has actually talked about how it was a mistake to give both Tim Patrick and Corlin Sutton a contract at the same time because, well, it's too much money to give to two guys, and you got Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler coming up, and you might have to pay one of those guys. But we've also talked about how Tim Patrick and Corlin Sutton are similar receivers body-wise, mm-hmm. right? So now what you have with Tim Patrick on, you got Corlin Sutton who has a certain body. You got Jerry Judy who has a, a certain body. And KJ who has a certain body. Those are three different body types, three different skill sets that ideally, if you're a smart coach, you can dial up ways to get all three of those guys involved. Tim Patrick is going to be missed, but I think this team can fill in for him and still find a way to get clicking without bringing a guy off the street. What are your thoughts on that? You think they should bring in a Will Fuller? Well, just to, before I get into that, there was a couple of snaps yesterday when Cortland Sutton was out. Uh, Tim Patrick was out. This was before he was injured. And looking on the field, it was like, oh, so we got a bunch of mighty mites out there. You know, there's a, there's, there's a you know, no big body receivers were out there on the field. So I think you do need some big body guys. So if somebody were to step up uh, and uh, if it was Seth Davis at 6'3". Seth Williams. Seth Williams, sorry. 6'3", uh, 210, uh, that would be great just from a a size difference perspective at some point you need a receiver who can go up and make a contested catch and body somebody out if Cortland Sutton is not available or is 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 tired you don't want to replace him with the guy who's 5'9 185 so but that you know that's Cole Beasley that's Ty Ty Hilton that's Will Fuller T.Y. Hilton sorry and that's Didi Westbrook all those guys are pretty small dudes as well right so looking at this list of available free agents none of them really meet the size requirement uh, or, or that I would be looking for uh, to, to give another big-bodied receiver. They would all be very different receivers. T.Y. Hilton, obviously very successful with the Colts for years and years and years. Uh, speed was his big thing. He wasn't a, a body-you-up guy. Cole Beasley almost exclusively worked in the slot, a crafty uh, number three slot receiver. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the role that we need to fill uh, with Tim Patrick being out. 
uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, I'm not really sure where he is in the recovery uh, process. Obviously, got late, got injured very, very late last year in the playoff run. Uh, so I think, they, I think he wants to go back to the Rams too. Like at the end of the season, they sign him. Right. You know what I mean? Like I saw an interview with Sean McVay, and he's like, "And we'd love to get Odell back at some point." I know you're listening, to Odell. So we'd love to get you back. You know, I'm sure you'd like to go back. I'm sure he would. Uh, obviously, but he likes a, money too. As a Hollywood guy, he, I'm sure he you know wants the opportunity to be uh, push his brand. But uh, last time I checked, the best way to push your brand as a player is to play great um, and to attach your name to another great player. So Russell Wilson and Odell Beckham Jr., that certainly makes news. That certainly pushes your brand forward. But I don't think George Payton, I don't think Nathaniel Hackett, uh, I don't think Coach Zani, I don't think any of those guys are there just yet. They're going to take some time uh, the next couple of days to see where this wide receiver core is. How does that room start to work itself out? How does the, the new pecking order begin to work itself out, the new hierarchy within that room? Who steps up? Who, who's, it, who's ready to seize this opportunity? It's awful when a teammate goes down, but to your point or, or earlier, it is an opportunity for someone else to elevate their role and their standing on the team. Uh, and what it, Some guys shrink at opportunities. Some guys seize it. Uh, there have been a great many careers uh, based on guys who were able to seize this exact kind of opportunity. Hopefully we see one of these guys step up. Um, I, I don't have a prediction as to who it, it will be. Um, Montreal Washington has certainly had some pop the last couple days. Our, our, our boy Caden Davis, always first one guy out to practice. Uh, Kendall Hinton already has a connection with Russell yep. Wilson. We saw that you know uh, this, this offseason. With Russell unsolicited offering praise for Kendall Hinton and what he's done. Uh, I thought Kendall Hinton flashed last year as well as a receiver. Freddie Swain is the name of the third receiver uh, at the the Seattle Seahawks last year. A texture pointed that out. 25 catches. Mm. Okay, so really that's what you're looking at for your third receiver. 25 30, 35 catches, would, 40 to 50 targets. Yeah, uh, now they, obviously it was a little different in Seattle than this, what it's going to be here. The offense was different. But the tight ends and the running backs, uh, I believe, had more catches than Freddie Swain in Seattle. So he may have been a third receiver, uh, but he was not the third guy on the roster with uh, the amount of catches. Uh, Russell Wilson certainly threw the ball to Everett, the tight end, and he utilized his backs out of the backfield quite a bit as well. Again, a different offense, so I'm not sure if that's a fair apples-to-apples comparison. I well, see the third receiver here having far more than 25 catches with this Denver Broncos team. Is that right? Why? Why? Uh, I, I think the, the offense that Coach Hackett's going to run, is, there's going to be an opportunity there. Um, so it's not just going to be number one and number two. I think there are, is going to be a third receiver who's going to have you know, 50 catches somewhere around there, 45 catches, not uh, 25. It's going to be, it's going to exceed that number significantly, I would think. So the way I look at it, the tight ends are going to be more heavily involved here than they were in Seattle. So, so Russ is going to throw to the tight ends more here, and you could have a couple of tight ends who have more catches than your number three receiver, just based on the the, the frequency of them being on the field. Um, you see the emphasis on the wide zone. You see the emphasis on this new running game, this zone blocking scheme. And once you get that down, the play action passes come off of that. But you need the tight ends to be in the game when you're doing that because they need to be believable decoys on the run. You put in a base defense, they run their play action pass, and guys are going to be running free. Uh, across the middle of the field. You see these tight ends running a lot of crossing routes. I talk about this a lot. This offense, there's at least six different crossing routes that tight ends have. They have a short cross. It's a six-yard 
like hook right across the, uh, over the middle of the field. They have a shallow cross. It's a five-yard cross all the way across the field, and you're reading man or zone. If it's zone, you're sitting right down outside the opposite tackle box and showing the, the quarterback your hands, giving him a throw. If it's man, you keep on running to the sideline. There's a basic cross. That's 10 yards straight stem, and then... 90-degree angle, straight across the field, sitting down in that zone. There's a deep cross. It's an aiming point of 12 yards on the sideline, crossing the field in front of that quarterback, giving him a throw. There's a far cross, and then there's one more. Oh, yeah, a middle cross. There's probably more crosses. The point is, there's a ton of crosses, okay? So this 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 uh, criticism we have of Russell Wilson not being able to use the middle of the field, right? Because right? he can't see it or whatever it is, or he prefers to throw out wide, this offense is tailored to use the middle of the field. Now, it may not just be drop back, sling it deep down the seam, but they're going to move the pocket slightly, do slight play action stuff, and throw that ball to crossing routes. Those are tight ends more so than number three receivers because it's got to be a believable run fake. Either way, man, there's only one ball to go around. How important is it to have receiver depth? five receivers who are awesome with a football. Yeah, that's cool. But you know what's actually more um, practical? Three receivers who have really good ball skills and are going to be productive on the field, and then their number four and number five receivers are contributors on special teams. How's that going to work out? Montreal Washington obviously staking his claim as a returner. But who's that number five receiver who might also be able to be a special teams contributor? Is that Kendall Hinton? He's not that kind of big body like Tyree Cleveland is. Tyree Cleveland was flagged by Coach Stoops as a special teams core guy, a core special teamer. There's a place for you on this team, Tyree, if you can get healthy and show yourself to be a serviceable receiver. I do believe that they'll be okay offensively, and it provides an opportunity, number one, for Jerry Judy to uh, pull his head out and start making some plays out there. Yesterday, he had a he had a, just a beautiful deep ball thrown to him down the middle of the field, dropped it over the defenders, and it went right off his hands. And it was done just kind of flippantly by him. It was just wet fish hands. He's got, he's got trout fingers, man. He just throws those things up, and it just bounces off. They got to strengthen their hands. They got to dig it in a you know bucket of rice or do whatever. They got to stop catching tennis balls and start catching footballs, Chad. I love it. I love the fire. I love the fire. Uh, just to be clear, Gerald Everett, the tight end in Seattle last year, he was third on the Seahawks team in receptions. Will Disley, another tight end, he was fifth. So between those two guys, they had uh, 89 receptions between Gerald Everett and Will Disley. Freddie Swan was number three. Uh, Swain. Sorry, number, Swain was number four with 25 receptions. And that running back room, they had 58 receptions between five running backs in Seattle. So those guys were certainly a target for Russell Wilson. When we come back, we'll be joined by James Merrillat. want to hear his opinion about the loss of Tim Patrick and how he sees this uh, effect in the Broncos offense. James Merrillat, he's next. Live from UC Health Training Center, Elite Sportsbook presents Training Camp 2022, Ready to Ride. Here's Chad and Nate. We will welcome in uh, James Merrillat as soon as he gets himself across the field over here, breaking into a, a jog. 
is James Merrillat. Look at that. Just a, just a, oh, man, this guy's got form, man. I mean, for all you guys out there who didn't think James was an athlete, he just jogged over. He, you can see his quads just rippling, dude, in the morning sun. What's up, James? The fact that I'm breathing heavy from jogging yeah. by 20 yards, 20 that's, steps not a, that's not a good thing. What's going on, fellas? Uh, James Merrillat, editor at DenverFan.com. James, obviously there was a dark cloud over the Broncos yesterday. Two players going down with ACL injuries. Uh, Demaria Crockett, a running back, uh, number four on the depth chart. But Tim Patrick, number two wide receiver, uh, what do you see the ripple effect of those injuries being? You know, the, the Tim Patrick news obviously was a bummer. You hate to see any anybody go down. You hate to see somebody that the team is counting on go down. And then, you know, Tim Patrick's one of those guys. We've talked about it a lot. Like, his path to get to where he is, you, you know, you, you root for people like that. So it was a bummer. But that said, I do think they're pretty well equipped to deal with it. Because I thought coming into camp, it would be a three-man race for those two starting jobs. Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy. Now we just kind of have the answer, right? Like, Jerry Judy didn't go beat Tim Patrick out, but he's going to have to be that number two guy. And in this offense, you know, it really is the, the 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 top two that are the keys. I mean, you go back to the late 90s, and I know it's a little bit different, but you go back to the late 90s, the Shanahan offense, the conversation every year was, who's going to be the third receiver, right? It was Willie Green, and then they draft Marcus Nash. And to some extent, it didn't really matter. It was always Rod and Ed, and they were the ones putting up the big numbers. And then the third guy was way down and, and way behind in terms of number three. But isn't it a different kind of offensive world now? Don't there isn't there a it's, lot more three receiver it, stuff? Than there back is not Shannon Sharp at tight end position, by the well, way. Well, there's a number three receiver on the roster, right? And if they had a, you know, if they were in a better position tight end wise, that would certainly help. But I do think it's going to be, you know, it's Cortland and, and Jerry, and then who's going to step up and be the slot guy? I think that's a little bit more of a classic setup than two big receivers. So um, I don't think it's going to be a huge, as huge impact as most people think. And then I think it creates an opportunity for, you know, my uh, my long shot guy coming into camp, the guy that jumped out at me at, at, at one of the mini camps was Seth Williams. I mean, just in terms of looking the part. Yeah. The guy's got all the, the, the skills, so it'll be interesting to see if someone like that can step up. What's your, what is your hunch as to whether or not Jerry Judy can step up to this opportunity? Heading into camp, I was super optimistic about Jerry Judy. Uh, you know, he's got all, all the talent in the world. But I, the more and more I watch him out here, the more and more I, I get the bad feeling that Jerry Judy thinks he's a great player, and Jerry Judy's nowhere near that at this point. Wouldn't a great player want to prove it out here every That's day? That's what now? I would think so. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's yeah. going on with him? I don't know. Because his body language is clearly, like, obviously don't want to be here. Or it's obviously, like, I've arrived, and the, what he doesn't seem to get is the guys that have arrived. That's not how they act out there, right? Like, if you look at the true stars on any team in any sport – that's not how they go about their business. They don't go out there and act like stars. They're the, typically the hardest working guys on the on the roster. So, you know, and it, it, it's little things. We're we're getting into the body language and how he's, you know, what kind of effort he's getting given after practice when Russell Wilson and the receivers go over and do some stuff. And you know, we're having to kind of read the tea leaves here, and we'll start to see once the Cowboys come in next week, maybe a little bit in preseason games. Although with the Tim Patrick injury. The chances you're going to see a lot of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy in the preseason just went down yesterday, and I don't think you're going to see a lot of them anyway. So, you think that's a mistake? No, I don't. I, I'm I'm on the Sean McVay plan here of, and I'm normally anti bubble wrap, like with the you know with Jamal Murray and with all these situations, like hey, you got to play. But in the NFL, preseason games are completely meaningless. They've turned into that. Uh, I just think the risk and the reward. 
is is so skewed of what you have to to gain from it from those guys versus what you could lose. I wouldn't play any of my stars. Russell Wilson's first time he'd actually step on a field in a game with the clock and with officials and all that would be September 12th up in Seattle if if I was Nathaniel Hackett. Okay, well, based on that answer, uh, my next question to you be to you was going to be: uh, This is now uh, we'll call this football 3.0. Uh, Nate and I played Abbey Football 1.0. Then they came out with a new CBA and cut back on padded practices and all that stuff. Uh, so Abbey Football 2.0. Now Coach Hackett and his guys are doing football 3.0. We don't go hard more than three days in a row. Day three here, no pads on these guys. It's going to be a much slower tempo practice. You're talking about holding guys out of all the preseason games. No nine on seven. No seven on seven. What's your take on this football experiment that this new staff is trying to implement, and how successful do you think this will be? I try to be open-minded, uh, right? Really? To new things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I do, believe it or not. So I, I, I'm going you know, to wait and see what the results are. There are certain parts of it I have questions about, and what we're going to see today in terms of practice is number one on my list of things I don't, for me personally, don't like. Like, if you're going to come practice – and it's a little bit more of a controlled environment, right? We saw yesterday anything can happen even in practice with Tim Patrick and with Crockett. But to me, that's the difference between, hey, I want to go full out and practice because it's controlled. You know what's going on. Preseason games, you're going up against an opponent. You don't know what they're doing. you got guys out there fighting for jobs. Like that's a little bit more of a, you know, why take the risk? So I don't like the, the walk-through, jog-through practices. They're not doing nine-on-seven, seven-on-seven, one-on-ones. It's different for me because, you know, I heard you talking yesterday, Chad, when, when, you know, when you were playing, when you were coaching, it's been a part of every practice. And my, you know, experience is a lot, lot less than yours, but it's been the same way, right? Like it's always been seven on seven. So that's weird to me, but I will give him credit for this. Vic Fangio last year talking about how seven on seven is meaningless. And so my point was, well, then why are you doing it? Right. Right. So if, if that's how Idro Evero and, and Nathaniel Hackett think seven on seven is meaningless, well, at least they're backing it up with them. We're not going to do it. We're not going to waste our time. So I will give them. I will give them credit for that. We'll we'll wait and see. And yeah, hey, when they go out there and the the, the games are real, if they're ready to go, um, and I have some questions on it, but I'm I'm going to be you know typically like I I am. I'm going to be open minded about it. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that? Dialing it back so much when you're supposed to be really kind of preparing for the games makes you more injury prone when you do finally go 100. percent I think I would guess so. Yeah, and you know I think to some extent that's it, probably the right word is we're all guessing at this point on that, but it just seems to logically make sense to me of you know to try and pick these different speeds and you're on and you're off and that's always difficult. We talk about it with momentum in a game, right? Like once you flip the switch off, it's really hard to turn it back on. I think it's a lot of that too with, with you know being out on the field. I think when you're on the field, on the court, on the ice, whatever sport you're playing, when you're out there, you got to go 100 percent. To me. I think when you're trying to throttle it back, that's typically when injuries happen more. Um, so that's the part of it that I, I do think will be interesting to watch is, hey, once they got to go, are they ready for it? Because uh, you guys know better than anybody else, right? When you get out there, there's preseason football. Well, there's practice. There's preseason football. Then there's regular season. Then there's playoffs in terms of intensity and speed and kind of how everybody's bringing it. So will they be ready for that leap? I don't know. I you know the, the, to go from half speed, three quarter speed to that, I think is going to be a big leap. 
eight days from now, the Dallas Cowboys will be in here for a joint practice. Um, and I think that's always telling because you, as a local media guys, we watch the Denver Broncos practice. So that begins to kind of skew your perspective as how hard are they going? How fast are they actually practicing? When the San Francisco 49ers showed up here a couple of years ago, it was night and day yep. difference between the tempo, the energy, the passion that the 49ers brought to this very field versus what the Broncos brought to this yep. field. Um, so hopefully the Cowboys uh, Thursday practice will be uh, telling uh, for not just for us, but also for this coaching staff to begin to see is this kind of slow it down, speed it up, uh, let's go three-quarters tempo today. If that's actually effective for keeping guys healthy, or is it just set their football team back and not get them ready to play real full-speed football during a game? Yeah, because it's all sort of relative, right? It's yeah. what's everybody else doing. And, you know, that, that's part of it with the rules and things like that. Well, everybody's playing by the same rules in terms of how much time they can spend in that building and how many practices. But how you treat those hours is up to the coaching staff. So that's the big mystery. And, and you're right about when the Niners came in. I mean, I, you walk through the gate over here, and this field right next to us, and that's where the defensive line for the Niners was going through drills, and you could tell it immediately. Like, we all should have had red flags going up for this is not going to go well this year. That was the Joe Flacco year. And the first day of practice, the Broncos' offense could could not move the ball. They couldn't do anything. They were a little bit better the second day, but uh, that was telling. So you're right. When the Cowboys come in here, this can all seem fine. Or we can spin it as great. bad. It's all great right, right? now. Like, right. We don't really know no. because it's the same thing kind of every day, and they're, they're practicing against themselves. That will be the first test. And honestly, Chad, that may be the biggest test until they go to Seattle for the opener because preseason games just aren't what they used to be. Those practices, when you finally get to go up against somebody else, uh, will be uh, will be very telling. Yeah, you talked about how the tempo changes from practice to preseason to regular season to playoffs. There's also practicing against another team tempo. Yep. That's, that's a step up from your normal practice. Um, okay, so you were vocal about your Russell Wilson fatigue yep. leading up to training camp. Obviously, that part of it's over. A week in the books. What are your impressions of number three? I honestly don't think he's looked particularly good. I, I, I think so are, are you a little buyer's remorse here? No, 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 no. Say it again. Say it again so everybody can hear you say it again. I don't think he's looked particularly good. There are we you go. talking about just the last couple of days or the, the totality yeah. of what they've been doing? I, I mean, you know, there's there's been some good moments, but, you know, they always you always hear the defense is ahead of the offense, and we hear it every single year no matter who's out here. But has this group looked distinctly different than they have in the past three, four, five, six years? No. And I'm watching. So the there's other. no difference between what you see between Teddy and, and Russ. Not a huge difference. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that's how it's going to turn out, and I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but if I'm just being honest of what I've watched, this yeah. is what no. I'm about you, James. Be honest, man. And, be and honest. The other part of it is there's several throws. And, and just the other day, Monday, he had a couple of throws, one way behind a guy. We never know who's at fault, right, because we don't necessarily know what the play call was. A couple of them in the dirt, and I'm just sitting there thinking, if this was last year and that was Drew or Teddy, or if it was three or four years ago, and that was Paxton or Trevor. I mean, every guy on the would have been, you know, yep. tweeting about it. And Horrible my, throw by my Teddy. guy's leading. Yeah. My guy, and yeah. it's like nobody even pays any attention to it because it's Russell Wilson. But That's, part of that was about what we were doing last year was wrong, and then the way we were judging those sure, quarterbacks, and, sure. and, and not you know that Russ is bad. That quarterbacks sometimes throw imperfect passes. That's correct. They are human beings out there, and like you said, there's a lot of timing issues and who's on the right page and things that they got to work out. That's why they're practicing, right? And, yeah. it's, and it's you know it's August third today, and if they had everything dialed in and ready to go, we'd be playing games. So they're you know what forty one days out from playing or forty days out. So, but I guess the skill set you see from Russell Wilson doesn't really impress you. 
it hasn't jumped out at me like, oh my gosh, that's unlike anything I've ever seen out here. Right. Um, you know, I mean, because we've we've seen athletic guys drew through a great ball. Like, there's been things we've seen before in practice. Uh, you know, I guess the word I would use at this point is a little underwhelmed. Okay, uh, one more quick question for you, since you are the president of the Drew Lock Fan Club, Drew Lock, Geno Smith. Against the Broncos opening day. I think it'll be Drew. Because I think the Seahawks are smart enough to realize, look, we're not going anywhere with Geno. We might as well find out if Drew, this is what the Broncos should have done last year. If Drew can play, <laughs> Not who's the great. better quarterback, but let's see if we get this guy And back. if Drew stinks, well, we'll get a better pick. The Seahawks are smart enough to do that. Vic Fangio wasn't. Perfect James Marilot answer. We'll end the interview <laughs> there. When we come back, we got our distraction segment. Nate's got it today. Talking about the next man up mentality. He's next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.